Welcome back to the Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast. We will be continuing our Halloween special with a discussion of demonic possession. All right, my friends, I have a story about demonic possession for you all. So it's actually by based loosely off a true account I read um, by this woman, Nezrin Shaheen in Ontario, Canada, that it was actually her daughter was one of the first cases. So picture this, you are working in the emergency department on Halloween night and a 12 year old girl is brought in by ambulance. You walk into her room and her mother says, oh my God, please help me. I think my daughter's possessed. You ask her, well, what do you mean? And she tells you the story. So it started a few weeks ago with memory loss, repeating questions over and over. Then she began talking in the third person, yelling religious obscenities, smacking her lips, making grunting noises, staying up all night in her room, mumbling incoherently to herself for days on end and making strange movements with her arms and legs. The spookiest part is that while they were stopped in traffic on the way to the hospital, the child calmly stared at her mother, undid her seatbelt, stepped out of the car and walked into oncoming traffic chasing after a city bus. When the driver refused to let her on board, she became aggressive, kicking, yelling, and repeating the phrase over and over, blasphemies against the God of the heavens. Um, They called an ambulance and she was brought to the hospital. All in all, she spent six weeks in the hospital undergoing numerous psychiatric and neurologic tests until one CSF test finally came back positive, and it was a autoantibody to the NMDA receptor, diagnosing her with anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, finally providing a medical diagnosis for the seeming possession witnessed by her poor mother. So NMDA receptor encephalitis is part of autoimmune encephalitis diseases, which kind of all have brain inflammation as their main thing. The best one known is this anti-NMDA encephalitis, which is characterized by a super fast onset of symptoms, like within a month from being totally normal to seemingly possessed. And the symptoms are so bizarre that it's actually thought to be the medical reason behind what people used to call demonic possessions throughout history. So it's very hard diagnosis because there's such a big overlap between autoimmune mediated encephalitis and things like delirium, dementia, substance abuse, psychosis. But the time to think about it is when you have a patient with altered mental status and all other clinical testing and diagnoses don't quite fit. Some common symptoms include acute onset of memory loss, new onset seizures, which can manifest as like strange oral movements, grunting, eye deviation, acute psychiatric illness, including psychosis and hallucinations, unusual movement disorders, like movements of the arms and legs. They've also reported ataxia before and autonomic dysfunction, hyperexcitability and insomnia. Sometimes they'll stay up for days, weeks on end. So it's really rare for somebody with encephalitis to have only one of these symptoms. Usually they'll exhibit almost all of them. Oh, also this encephalitis, as well as kind of the general autoimmune encephalitis in general are often associated with underlying malignancies. So you kind of have to image chest, abdomen, pelvis can further inform your diagnosis as well. 
Like I said before, there's this growing idea that a lot of historic accounts of demonic possession are actually attributed to autoimmune encephalitis. And I thought one of the more interesting quotes from this article I read was, Ms. Shaheen says, the storied history that led to the discovery of NMDA receptor encephalitis is filled with travelers once thought to be demonically possessed or bewitched, paying the ultimate price of misdiagnosis by being wrongly accused, convicted, and sentenced to torture and death. There may never be a cure, but thanks to recent scientific advances, a disease once characterized as demonic possession has a new name, and those on the dark journey from illness to health have reason to hope and fight on. So I think the main takeaway from this is that in order to diagnose it, you have to consider it. The approximate incidence of autoimmune encephalitis is only like 1.2 per 100,000 person years. So in a place like DC, where you have, I think there's like 680,000 people, there may be six cases a year. So it's pretty rare, but it does happen. If you're interested, there's a really, really good book on this called Brain on Fire. It also turned into a movie on Netflix, and it's basically a journalist for the New York Post who had this and she looked at all the video recordings from her hospitalization. She interviewed friends, family, her boyfriend, and then wrote a book about her month, which she absolutely remembered nothing about and had to get all second person accounts from. And that's it. That's all you need to know about demonic possession in the emergency department. Wow. I do have a fun fact about this. When I was at a hospital on my peds rotation, we actually had a patient with this. Did you? Yeah, it was like they were having a really, really hard time actually confirming the diagnosis and the testing takes like a really long time to come back Like this kid was sitting there forever. But uh, this was the presumed diagnosis. Yeah. What did they like present with? It's been such a long time. It's a little hard for me to remember. But I think this this kid had some like behavioral issues. I think this kid was like maybe autistic, but then was coming in with like a, a lot of strange behaviors and like was making like threats to hurt other people. I think at one point said that they'd like blow up the hospital or something like that. Just just like a lot more behavioral issues than their baseline. Um, and I think they got this like huge workup and eventually they settled on like, we have to go after the weird things. And this is one of the weird things they went after. And I actually, I don't know if I was there long enough to find if, if they actually like confirmed the diagnosis with testing, but this is what, at least what they presumed the diagnosis was. Cool. I would like to appreciate that that whole time you just explained that in such a soothing voice that it was like I was watching someone instruct a yoga video, but they were telling me about <laughs> demonic possession, which, well, you're wow, I did not, I, do people actually test for this in ED? I, I feel like they, this is so off the radar for them that this is not even this doesn't even come up on the DDX. No, I feel like it's not like an ED thing, but it's definitely, I mean, somebody like this will come through the ED before they get sent to the hospital for six weeks trying to figure out what the hell is oh, going no, on. Now I'm going to have this on my my differential. Very, probably pretty low, but it, six is not, six people out of that many, that's not zero, so. Yeah, six a year is not zero. Wow. But you should definitely read or watch Brain on Fire. It's so good. I was going to say The Exorcist, but yeah, I mean, you know. Well, no, they think The Exorcist is based off a little boy, like a general true account of a little boy. And they think that that's what that was as well. No way. It was local, right? Because the stairs, or at least where it was filmed, the stairs are at Georgetown? No, the movie 
Okay. They filmed it. Yeah. 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 Just the movie was filmed there. It's where the priest gets impaled by the spike that comes off. Uh, Spoiler alert. It gets struck by lightning. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't watched the movie and I'm probably not going to. So thank you, Charlie. (laughs) Of all the deaths in the film, you know, it's not like (laughs) one of the more gruesome. All right. Go ahead, Kyle. All right. Our next pumpkin fact. The largest pumpkin pie ever made was over five feet in diameter and weighed over 350 pounds. It used 80 pounds of cooked pumpkin, 36 pounds of sugar, 12 dozen eggs, and took six hours to bake. I'm sure the, um, the question we all have is, was the Guinness World Record holding pumpkin used in the creation of the biggest pumpkin pie? I do not know. That's a question you need to find out first. Wait, let me let me do the math because um. It kind of sounds like they could have they could have made so a bigger pie. Another bigger pumpkin, pumpkin fact: pumpkin. pumpkins are eighty to ninety percent water, so. They're also affected by full moons. Mm-hmm. Also, when it comes to pumpkins, the kind that like you do the jack o' lanterns with are really like very different from the kind that you actually end up eating. Oh. The kind you eat is like mostly meat, very few seeds. And then obviously a jack-o'-lantern has a thin wall and tons of seeds. Abby, our pumpkin queen. Okay, Frankie, you are up. Okay, so question for all of you. When you did your psych rotations, did you ever have a patient who came in believing they were not human? No. Frankie, we had our psych rotation together. I know. And I'm, I don't think we did. We had that one person who thought that aliens were coming to take her away and that we were all from <laughs> different planets and that she. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She couldn't. And she show. rapped. Do you remember the rap she did? I don't, but it was awesome. It was amazing. Kanye yeah. was in it. She was a very talented rapper. He was. It was mind blowing. But um, I had a patient that thought she was a plant. Okay, that's close <laughs> to what I'm about to discuss. Um, what kind of plant, out of curiosity? Uh, it was, it was color. She was a blue plant. A blue that was plant. the issue she could give me. That's very specific. Okay. So what I'm going to discuss today is something called clinical lycanthropy, which is the belief that you have, are, or will be transforming into a wolf. And this dates back like centuries. A case that I found is out of a journal in Turkey Uh, was a 21-year-old male who had repeated episodes of howling and believing that he was growing hair. And this happened like weekly. So it wasn't like a full moon association, Taylor. So obviously Mm. maybe not a real werewolf, but he was observed in the emergency department to have a couple episodes of growling. And he was insisting that he was turning into a werewolf and that his chest was getting more broad and that he was growing more hair and teeth. Um, so they dosed him with some Haldol and <laughs> lorazepam, which seemed to take care of the problem. Some people use silver or wooden stakes through the heart. Others right. use Haldol. Since this is a clinical podcast, I thought that would be appropriate to recommend. That's what they did. And so that seemed to take care of the problem and he was discharged to an outpatient facility. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's some pearls to take to the ed um as taylor as you said like a wooden stake or whatever you use against a werewolf is not recommended in the clinical setting definitely go for a pharmacotherapy type intervention but still have it right like have it in a pocket yeah somewhere. you can still have it in your toolkit obviously it's next to the laryngoscope yeah just sharpen Different. those little uh tongue depressor things i don't know oh yeah all right yeah 
Wow, thinking outside of the box, guys. This is EM right here. Exactly. We do use the bottom of the Q-tips for sharp versus dull when we do our neuro. Those are really sharp, so you're right. Definitely some austere medicine. <laughs> Wilderness medicine. <laughs> so lycanthropy doesn't just refer to, I mean, typically you refer to a, a person being transformed into a wolf or belief that they're being transformed into a wolf. But there are case descriptions that other they were transformed into other animals, such as a bee, bird, frog, gerbil, goose, horse, rhinoceros, snake, wild boar, and other animals. Kind of reminds me of the Harry Potter. Um, oh yeah, the animega, animagi. Yeah, or what would your Patronus be? I took the Harry Potter quiz online and it said that mine would be a crow, which I think is really accurate. And my husband, Ben, took one and it said he would be a salmon, which is also accurate. So I recommend that you do that. <laughs> I mean, we all know we all know that salmon are the, the crows of the sea. So that just makes, you know. He was like, so wait, 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 can I take it again? I was like, they don't let you take it again. Yeah, you can't do that. No, that's cheating. It's like your house. You can't just change houses. Exactly. I'm, I think I was Ravenclaw or Slytherin. Yeah, I'm a Slytherin through and through. You would be. Wow, guys. It's because I'm a gunner at heart. That's right. I never finished Harry Potter, so oh I don't God. even know what that means. Okay. But. Well, That's the real scary part of this podcast, yeah. guys. There's people out there like her. Unbelievable. Off right now. <laughs> and we're about to trust her to be a doctor. No. She doesn't even Taylor. know that. Not right. I mean, Taylor's dead to me. <laughs> well, anyway, guys, I hope that that was really informative for you. Give me your pumpkin fact, Kyle. Okay, Armand, this one is for you. Oh. I, I briefly mentioned this. You should plant Halloween pumpkin seeds the first week of June because most varieties take 85 to 125 days to mature. See, I think most people would be very scared by that number, but that's fine with me. I'm All growing right. uh, some some sugar snap peas right now, okay. and they are just... I have, just part, I have a part oh. two. No one okay. cares about your sugar snap peas, okay? All right. Part two, the female flower only opens for one day for pollination. Ooh, boo, that's not that long. I'd have to check it every day. Okay. Also, just related to the clinical lycanthropy bit of this, and this doesn't have to be in the recording just for your guys' enjoyment. There's another podcast called Lore, and it's like all things spoop. Love it so much during the month of October. They're doing an episode every Monday and they recently did an episode about clinical lycanthropy. It was really interesting. I quite enjoyed it. So there's also another one called Sawbones and they have a whole episode on real life monsters, which is like the porphyria, the lycanthropy, that stuff. Lore is actually now also an Amazon prime uh, show. And I don't know, I think they might have a season two out now, but on season one, they actually covered tuberculosis and vampires. So check that out. Look at us, Danny. Danny, it's your turn. Hey, everyone. All right, so to set the stage for my question, I want you to imagine you're out trick-or-treating on Halloween and you see some cool kids chucking eggs at houses and people. And your question's probably the same as my question. It's, is this all just fun and games until someone loses an eye or is it all just fun and games? So enter this peer-reviewed article in the Journal of Emergency Medicine in 2006 called, Here's Egg in Your Eye, a Prospective Study of Blunt Ocular Trauma Resulting from Thrown Eggs. 
yeah, this is, this is, this is real guys. This is, it's serious. Okay. So the objective of this excellent study was to see if a public awareness campaign might be justified around Halloween with regard to the dangers of egg throwing. And this was a prospective observational study of all patients who attended one particular primary care department in Liverpool in the UK with ocular injuries resulting from a thrown egg over a 14 month period, starting from November, 2004. And all the injuries were classified as minor and immediate or major. And then they were followed up until discharge. Before digging into the results of this serious public health crisis, a little bit of education. Blunt trauma to the eye is a common presentation to the optho emergency service and major morbidity is common. So we all need to keep this on our radar. So no, there's no consensus available on the timing, but really they should be evaluated within 24 hours if there's no suspicion of globe rupture. And for educational purposes, the serious sequelae of blunt ocular trauma include angular recession, which is posterior contusion deformity of the anterior chamber angle. And this is posterior displacement of the iris root um, and associated with tearing a part of the ciliary muscle Glaucoma developed in 7 to 9% of eyes with angular recession. Also vitreous hemorrhage or hemorrhage into the anterior chamber. Commodio retinae is damage to the outer retinal layers due to the force of trauma traversing the eye. And it appears a white sheen on the retina can be associated with retinal tear. Also retinal tear or dialysis of the subsequent retinal detachment and rupture of the choroid or sclera. All right, so for results of this, during the study period, there were over 18,000 admissions and 13 ocular injuries that were attributed to assault with a raw egg. All had been thrown by strangers. 12 of the patients were men, and there was only one patient who did not have decreased visual acuity at the time. All had closed globe injuries, given antibiotics followed to their discharge. Eight were classified as major injuries, four had permanent sequelae, and one suffered permanent severe visual loss, and five of them occurred during October, so spooky. It's a small sample size, but you know, point being a lot of this happened during Halloween. So what's the takeaway from this? Their goal was to see, is it justified to have a public awareness campaign on the dangers of egg throwing? And they said, yes, there is sufficient injury caused by this prank to warrant a public health message. So we should not be promoting the joys of throwing eggs at people as much as we may want to. My question is this was raw eggs. What if they're soft boiled or hard boiled? <laughs> I feel like that would be worse. <laughs> wouldn't it really be worse? Uh, maybe because <laughs> then the shells can't really stab you as well because they kind of stick to the egg when you crack it. Mm. So it might be better. More of a blunt versus penetrating trauma. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Is there uh, any data talking about whether white or brown eggs are more dangerous? Easter egg. Mm. I think if there's one takeaway from this paper, it's that more research needs to be conducted and we need to be the ones conducting the research. And I vote Kyle be the That's subject right, yeah. or the target of, of <laughs> eggs. <laughs> so we'll start, we'll start with the soft boiled and then we'll go to raw eggs. Any, nope, any that, sounds, that sounds totally anybody? good for me. Let's do this when we're all together for like match day yeah. or something. And we'll have Kyle staying well, in the middle. And match day celebration. Everyone throws an egg that 
explodes and reveals where you matched. <laughs> It'll be like the, the Scrubs episode where, where everybody, where they're playing Jiggly-Ball and everybody just chucks stuff at JD. So everybody will be just chucking eggs at Kyle in the name that's of science. Right. I actually really like, that's like a gender reveal party. We're all just going to throw eggs at Kyle <laughs> to figure out where we're going. But also get scientific evidence about ocular trauma from eggs. Considering this study was done in England, it begs the question as to whether or not they had a social compact not to use the term, well, who has egg on their face now? You know? So. I knew it was going to come up. And I knew it was going to be you. I just didn't know when. Dude, I am, I am just shell-shocked. Yoke's on you. So glad Tola is not on this call. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh man. Well, after that, my 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 brains are scrambled. Kyle, do so the pumpkin fact it. now. Save us. Okay, the Guinness <laughs> World Record for the furthest pumpkin chunkin shot was is held by a pneumatic cannon dubbed Big Ten Inch, and. <laughs> Yes, the distance it shot the pumpkin was 5,545.43 feet. Huh. For our listeners out of outside the U.S., that's 1,690.25 meters. Thank you. Over a mile. Wow. Abby, it's your turn. All right. So our next spoop is um, about zombies. So on July 2016, which funny enough was my 21st birthday for anyone who's curious. Um, EMS was dispatched to a borough in Brooklyn because several people were wandering around and acting strangely like zombies. So when they arrived on scene, they uh, found multiple patients, all with altered mental status, wandering around, kind of CNS depressed, moaning, moving their arms and legs in strange ways. This was highly covered by media outlets on that day, and it was found that there had been up to 33 patients presenting with these symptoms, 18 of which were transferred to the hospital. So the index patient, which this paper talked about, was a 28-year-old male who admitted that he later that he had used some kind of unknown substance that day. So the index patient uh, was brought to the hospital and surprisingly was actually very stable as far as his vitals and physical exam. Um, but he did have a blank stare, was very lethargic but arousable to stimuli um, and had periods of groaning as well as slow mechanical movements of his arms and legs. They did a full exam on him. The only finding on physical was that he was kind of sweaty um, and then they also did a full lab workup, in including a tox screen, and everything was normal, and nothing popped positive on the tox screen. They put him in an, uh, an observation unit to metabolize, and nine hours later, he had returned to a baseline. He confirmed that he had smoked an unknown substance, and he was discharged from the emergency room. Because there were so many patients that presented on that day, it was kind of a multi-agency investigation to find out what had happened. They took blood and urine samples from eight of the 18 patients that had been hospitalized that day. And some police officers also were able to um, get like an actual sample of the drug that had been used and it was all tested. And it required mass spectrometry to isolate the substance. And it actually was a synthetic cannabinoid called AMB 
Fubinaca. Either that or it's like a really long acronym that I'm not going to say all the letters for. But anyway, this was being presented as it was called AK-47 24 karat gold. Um, And that was what was being sold to these people. So background for this substance, it was actually a synthetic cannabinoid that was made by a pharmaceutical company back in 2009 is when the patent was put through. And then it was found to being sold racially in Japan in 2012. It was made a schedule one substance in the US in 2014. And then there was an outbreak in Louisiana, which caused the state of Louisiana to ban the substance. And then obviously this outbreak in Brooklyn in 2016. We probably have all had a patient who's used synthetic cannabinoids before. And this one was actually a little strange in that it caused these like behavioral things. So synthetic cannabinoids tend to cause really strong CNS depression and this is zombie-like behavior, but they also usually cause a lot of other kinds of symptoms that can actually be pretty scary. So what was strange in this case was this patient was actually like very, very stable, but typically synthetic cannabinoids can cause tachyarrhythmias, they can cause seizures, hyperthermia, cardiotoxicity, and AKIs. So one thing that's interesting about these, I've always been curious as to why they cause like the cardiac effects. I think I had a patient who had used a synthetic cannabinoid once that was like Brady to like 40. It was just like, just chilling, braiding at 40. And apparently a lot of synthetic cannabinoids can affect the potassium channels and cardiomyocytes. They also have some serotonergic activity as well, which is why they cause autonomic side effects like hyperthermia and tachycardia. So all of those are normal findings with synthetic cannabinoids. And for some reason, these patients had like none of those things. Additionally, I was a little curious about how people actually use synthetic cannabinoids because I'm unfamiliar with them myself. So they are typically dissolved into some kind of solution, which is then applied to a benign herbal substrate and then smoked like cannabis. So that's how all these patients had also used this substance. And I guess the clinical parole to take away from this, besides when you have like a patient with weird arrhythmias or like heart things and is altered thanks to synthetic cannabinoids, but also that these drugs don't typically show up on drug screens. Um, None of these patients Mm -hmm. tested positive for cannabinoids, at least none that were in the paper. Um, And this actually took mass spectrometry to isolate it. So even if they don't show up positive for something, keep it on your differential as suspicious. That's it. Huh. I always thought for some reason that like these synthetic cannabinoids, I know the ones that are kind of popular here, like K2 and Spice, I think are the names that I, th- I thought they just make people go nuts. I didn't know it was like a depressive thing or good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I have no idea how you treat that. Do you just let them like go? metabolize for a little while and yeah I, I yeah i think well but if, i mean if something happens like if they're having crazy arrhythmias you pr- yeah. likely have to treat them but otherwise i think they just metabolize for a while and then they get better and can go home i remember i was working at maimonides medical center at the time when this happened and i remember us all talking about it that day hearing about you know like 30 to 50 people who are all found in the same in brooklyn it's like a relatively well-known cross street all just kind of wandering around underneath the train tracks there, like completely out of it and just ambulances going and going and going and going all day. It was a big, it was a, it was a, it was a big Brooklyn event. Hmm. Or they were actually zombies. Don't discount that part. Yeah. Charlie. Uh, I just want everybody to know that I learned something new today and that was how to pronounce Maimonides. So finally figured that one out. Thank you very much. All right. Here's some, pumpkin nutrition facts. One cup of canned pumpkin 
has only 83 calories and a half gram of fat. Pumpkins also have more fiber than kale, more potassium than bananas, and are full of magnesium and iron. A cup of cubed pumpkin contains twice the recommended daily intake of vitamin A. Pumpkins are rich in tryptophan, and they're also rich in beta-carotene and other antioxidants. So pumpkin pie is actually healthy is what you're telling us. Uh, if you take like the 36 cups of sugar out of it, yeah. Producer Bella here. That's the end of part two of our Halloween special. Stay tuned for the final part. In the meantime, stay safe, wear a mask, and happy Halloween. <laughs>